This very special episode of Box Cutters was presented as part of Continuum 8, the 51st Australian National Science Fiction Convention, which took place in Melbourne on the Queen's Birthday Weekend 2012. Happy birthday, Mum. Box Cutters is recorded in front of a live studio audience. I just want to do that all day. <laughs> I, just, I just want to have people applaud at me all day. I don't want to fight with you, John, John Richards. I don't want to well, fight. Well, if you don't want to fight with me, why have you chosen to have a one-on-one debate about a purely contentious idea? Look, I, I, think, it's, I think it's a little bit uh, overdrawn to, for, for you to call this topic contentious. I think it's quite straightforward. So what's the topic, Josh? All science fiction television is rubbish. Okay. Where are we recording this, Josh? National Science Fiction Convention uh, in, in Melbourne, 2012. Do, do you see where you went wrong? Do you, do you see where... Because I'm, I'm going to be arguing the negative on this. I'm going to be saying that science fiction television is not rubbish. Josh is going to be arguing that it is. I'm clearly going to win. Well, okay, okay. I think arguing, arguing sounds so negative and violent. I'm going to be proving it. <laughs> right. It's, okay. it's it's positive. I'm, I'm, I, I think it's, it's. I like to look at these things in a positive way. I am going to be proving that all science fiction television is rubbish. I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to that. So it's going to follow a traditional debate structure. There are three rounds. Uh, it's just the two of us, though, in each of the rounds. And at the end, it will probably draw to an unsatisfying conclusion. Uh, At which I hope we'll get more applause. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then we'll say you can all leave and everyone will be happy. <laughs> and then we'll go, yeah! Like at so, the end of a plane trip. And I think one thing we should probably clarify at the very beginning, when we say science fiction, for the purpose of this, of this debate, we're actually talking about sort of genre television I've, generally. I've got a, I've got a definition in, uh, as, okay. as first speaker in the affirmative. Okay. It's my job to define Is it. it? Right. I did grade six debating. Right, yeah. So, well, I, I guess, Josh, if you would like to... to Call this debate to order. You know what? We should have gotten someone with a bell. I know. Does anyone have a bell? That's that's not really that's, with a bell, is yeah. it? That's that's, that's my oh, impersonation of a bell. And a bell just isn't enough. It needs <laughs> to be a bell and a clock. Yeah. Someone to time us in. There are no rules. The only rules are we need to be out of here by uh, five o'clock. Yeah, two ideas enter, one idea leaves. <laughs> <laughs> or they join together in beautiful matrimony. Yeah. So I, I realise that I'm setting myself up for, for failure with this topic, like re- really. Uh, I do, however, think that every thesis deserves a defence and this is a very important thesis. We're all here because we love science fiction and by science fiction, I mean two things. One, what people have taken to calling genre in which we combine all matter of futuristic, steampunk, dragon-slaying, unicorn-riding, space-travelling, time-altering, supernature-invoking and other-world-speculating fiction that amuses us so much that we combine in one place every year to celebrate it. And, two, that I am an ageing gentleman with bad habits and too stubborn to change them, so I just lump it all into the term science fiction and the rest of the world can suck it. By rubbish because I think it's important to uh, define that term as well. I mean that it's all bad without merit and a waste of time and resources. So uh, on first glance, that sounds pretty harsh, I know, but 
I've put together a short package uh, of a few different shows from the last 35 years or so that will hopefully give weight to my point. Now perhaps you see why the imperious leader put me in command. But if we cannot call for assistance and you will not attack, is not the end result the same? The Galactica escapes. (laughs) Have faith, Lucifer, have faith. I have a plan. All I need is the opportunity to present it. And that will come by your command. Easy. Easy. This coil's live in every sense. It's got enough energy to vaporize both of us. All right, you're giving the orders. What do you want me to do about it? Turn off the power without touching the main switch. What happened? I tried to shut off the auxiliaries. But they switched back on automatically. That's happening to every function on board. Yeah, then this coil leapt at me as though we're trying to protect the switchbox. The ship is working against us. From now on, we are just passengers. The question is, where to? I'm going to try and break the circuit. It knows. It knows what you're trying to do, Avon. Chikorada is tired of skin games. Waste of skin. I can't run move. So uh, there, there we saw Battlestar Galactica, Blake Seven, Lex, and Primeval, and. Uh, those, those four selections are clearly a, a collection of overwrought melodrama, bad special effects, horrendously upsetting overacting and disturbingly expository dialogue. And while these things make their appearances in science fiction in other media, literature, film and comics certainly have their demons in this area, television just doesn't ever seem to try to create anything that isn't poisonous and hideously upsetting in the science fiction genre. There are many people to blame for these crimes against entertainment and in my coming arguments you'll see how everyone, yes, everyone, has a part to play. For the moment though, let's focus on the positive and look at all the things that make television great. Intrigue, conflict, danger, general reflections of of human nature in a good story told well. And in a time when television has come so far, we have shows like The Shield, Sopranos, The Wire, Deadwood, Sherlock, and yes, John, Outland. Why is science fiction so far behind? Why do we only get the terrible bits of television that make up TV science fiction? Please, tell me, John Richards, why? Well, Josh Canal, for a start, I am embarrassed for you. But moving on from that... (laughs) Um, also, Blake Seven, you had to include Blake Seven. You'll be lynched leaving this building. You, you, it's you, yeah, I mean, yeah, you. One, I, as I discovered from Outland, one does not mock Blake Seven. The, the man, the man was pinned against a wall by a live wire that was five feet away from him and no longer moving. And, and again, I failed to see what the bad part of this is. Um, <laughs> Look, it is true, there are, there are terrible parts of science fiction television. And as, 
as most fans know, Theodore Sturgeon famously has been quoted as saying that 90% of everything is crap. And I think he was a bit optimistic. But that's actually everything. You know, every genre has, has terrible work in it. I'm going to argue not only is science fiction and television not rubbish, I actually think it's better than other science fiction. I'm going to prove later on that it actually hits above its weight. And uh, you mentioned, you know, your definition of rubbish before, which includes uh, unimportant or valueless is, is part of the, the definition of, mm-hmm. of rubbish. I'm going to prove that TV is not just valueless. Uh, science fiction TV is actually important. It's, it's important culturally, it's important to society, and most importantly, it's important mathematically. I'm going to prove it with maths, which is the most provingest of them all. <laughs> but first, though, I wanted to show... Uh, so, yes, you've had your little joke. You've played some Lex. Uh, I'm going to play you a package of the kind of shows that I'll be talking about. Before we begin, we'd like to say that, in our opinion, it is not suitable for children or for those of you who may have a nervous disposition. What you're about to watch is a nightmare. It is not meant to be prophetic. It need not happen. It's the fervent and urgent prayer of all men of goodwill that it never shall happen. But in this place, in this moment, it does happen. This is the Twilight Zone. It's what you said at the ceremony. You gave a speech. It sounded like it wasn't the one you prepared. You said that humanity was a flawed creation. You said that humanity never asked itself why it deserved to survive. Maybe you don't. What were you in the war? The big war you failed to win. You were a sergeant, yeah? Sergeant Malcolm Reynolds, Balls and Bayonets Brigade. Big, tough veteran. Now you got yourself a ship and you're a captain. Only I think he's still a sergeant, see? Still a soldier. Man of honor in a den of thieves. I do the job. And then I get paid. Go run your little world. I will not make any deals with you. I've resigned. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. You set us up. You're in on this with Lucas Henry. This was a trap for Mulder because he helped put you away. Well, I came here to tell you that if he dies because of what you've done, four days from now, nobody will stop me from being the one that'll throw the switch and gas you out of this life for good, you son of a bitch! We make mistakes, people die. There aren't many of us left. It's not enough to survive. One has to be worthy of surviving. There are far worse things than death in this world. I don't know what stop you talking, but I can guess. They're coming. The angels are coming for you. But listen, your life could depend on this. Don't blink. Don't even blink. Blink and you're dead. They are fast, faster than you could believe. Don't turn your back. Don't look away and don't blink. Good luck. You mean life? Yeah. Does it get easy? No, 
What do you want me to say? Lie to me. Yes, it's terribly simple. The good guys are always stalwart and true. The bad guys are easily distinguished by their pointy horns or black hats. And uh, we always defeat them and save the day. No one ever dies and everybody lives happily ever after. Liar. So clearly I've won this argument. I, I mean, not, not only have I won just by demonstrating it, there were even quotes. I don't know if you noticed, Josh. There was actually a text there. Unmissable, said DVD Monthly. I, if you can't trust the words of DVD Monthly, who can you trust? <laughs> I was a little bit heavier there with, with the Battlestar Galactica because I'm a, a big fan of it up until the last ten episodes, which just didn't happen. Uh, but I, I do think you mentioned before Max Good Television. I think you said intrigue, conflict, and reflection of the human nature, which is pretty much what all of those shows do. Uh, and in fact, even more than that, I would say that Blink, the episode of Doctor Who we saw a clip from, and The Body, an episode of Buffy, which we saw a different clip from, from Lie to Me, from Buffy, I would say uh, Blink and The Body are possibly two of the best episodes of television ever made. I think they are, they are exceptionally well-crafted pieces. And certainly as, as single episodes of any show, yeah, you'd have to go a long way to find stuff better than the two of those. And then, uh, just to go one step further with this, though, as well, is that only last year on the Box Cutters wrap-up for the end of the year, we did, amongst us, mention the Almighty Johnsons and uh, Black Mirror mm, mm. as being amongst the best programs of that year. Black Mirror probably being the purest science fiction we've seen on television for quite some time. A, a news program, I believe that was, John. <laughs> and, uh, and finally, just to take this a little bit more personally, there's this picture. David, can you put my, uh, my picture up? Now... It's, it's not, you know, I don't want to play the man and not the ball, but uh, we have this image. Now, that's Josh. I believe that's you in your house, uh, possibly uh, making hamburgers from the look of it. Yeah, we're... Uh, uh, no, no, don't worry about that. So here's a picture of you in your house. And, um, and I'd like to just point out that you appear to be wearing this T-shirt here. Um, so you're, you're saying that all science fiction is crap, and yet that T-shirt looks rather familiar to me. I think that looks like it's from the hipster T-shirt online vending company Threadless, and I believe it's called 108 Objects from Flight 815. Now, if we have a look at my next image... So there we go. There's, there's the actual image of the T-shirt design. Now, that uh, represents 108 items of significance from Lost, the popular science fiction drama that ran on America's ABC network from 2004 to 2010. Or, Josh, are you somehow saying that your favourite show, the one about a time-travelling island and a monster made of smoke, is somehow not science fiction? Because I say, J'accuse! You are history's greatest monster! Thank you. Well, uh, John, you, you can prove anything with facts, can't you? <laughs> And, and if you're just going to collect a whole bunch of TV shows that I really like and put them in a really dramatic montage, <laughs> then of course it's going to seem like you have the upper hand. But a couple of things there. One is, uh, one is that those quotes, those quotes that appeared on the screen that you bring our attention to so much in your talk is, uh, is conspicuous because... They all talk about this show being drama, not science fiction. They, they don't refer to it as science fiction. It's, it's almost as though they're ashamed of the fact that it might be related to science fiction and scared that they will frighten people off. 
I'm just putting that out there. Let's see where it goes. And, and maybe I was a little bit harsh when I said that all of science fiction on, on television was rubbish. And if I'm honest with myself and, and the audience here, I would say that in the list of shows that I mentioned earlier when I was writing that bit, I did have to take out shows like Lost and Carnival and even uh, Aaron Laid uh, because they, I think, are a part of a, a modern landscape that is filled with glory in television uh, and those very much have what I would call science fiction elements because I'm a stubborn man. But if they can make television so wonderful, John, why is so much of it so terrible? And two shows, two shows uh, kind of set the scene, laid the footpath, mapped the journey for our science fiction-related purgatory. And, and these shows are one that you... Uh, actually, two that were in your little clip there, John. Doctor Who and Star Trek. Doctor Who and Star Trek were terrible shows, but people absolutely loved them, and as a result, all of science fiction that came after them was basically treated the audience with a contempt that resulted in low budgets, bad scripts, and hammy actors. Also, camera shaking. So much camera shaking. Now, a- admittedly, some Doctor Who is good. Blink, for example, is a great episode of Doctor Who. A great episode that was from an otherwise extraordinarily tedious season of, of Doctor Who. If you look at the old Doctor Who, there is so little of it that lives up to great drama standards, despite the, the quality of actors that we've got in there. And if you look at Star Trek, so much of that was just sad, poor rubbish. It was, it was almost almost entirely unwatchable. And if you don't believe me, here are some clips from Star Trek that prove my point conclusively. You've got to keep this mixture above 90% or we'll never leave orbit. Thank you, Mr. Craig. I'm Lieutenant Commander Data. Lieutenant Commander Christopher Hobson. By order of Starfleet, I hereby take command of this vessel. Please note the time and date in the ship's log. The slipstream's destabilizing. Shut down the drive. I can't. There's some kind of overload in the quantum matrix. I've lost helm control. Captain, I am receiving a transmission. I thought you said the comlink was down. It is. The signal is being routed through one of my cranial implants. Contains a new set of phase corrections. Does Harry know how to access your Borg systems? No. Must have figured out a way. have there is some uh, classic science fiction television that is clearly so bad it is laughable 
the issue is one that uh, of expectations being set way too low. Star Trek was popular, Doctor Who was popular, and more than that, people became fanatic about these shows. So when it came time for the powers that be to make things that appeased these fans, they reached for that very same low bar. This led to lazy TV production, a few shimmering costumes, some oddly placed lights and some made-up but sciencey sounding words was all we needed to make these shows work. At the start of that clip, there's a, a, a scene from uh, Star Trek Next Generation where uh, he says, oh, 90%, it's going to need to be more than that if we're going to get through this orbit. 90% of what? What? What are you talking about? You're just making up, putting the word percent in there because it sounds sciencey. Ridiculous. And, and probably the, the worst perpetrator of this is, is Star Trek Next Generation, which had terrible episode after terrible episode. And the, the only exception being like the single Q episode in every series that kept things interesting and kept people wanting to watch because, ooh, we'll see what trouble they get into this time, puny humans. And then uh, they get through that outsmart queue. Oh, it's the end of the season. Well, we can't wait until next time. And then next season would start and it would be terrible episode after terrible episode until there was a Borg or Q episode and then that would keep us going just enough until the next Borg or Q episode. Lazy writing, lazy direction, lazy production in general made for some really terrible television. The production companies keep saying that they try to make science fiction to please audiences, but really they're just paying lip service and make everyone just that little bit sad. What do you think of that, John Richards? Well, there's a few directions I can take on this. The first one... Sorry, sorry, did you miss conclusively? Just the fact that you you brought that clip up, and the minute it came, I thought, oh, of course that clip's going to be shown because you fuck one sheep in this town. (laughs) Uh, but, but that's the thing. If you're tying Star Trek down to being one man fighting one gorn in one death valley with some paper mache, then yes, you can, you, can, you can dismiss the whole thing based on that, if you wish. And also, you're going for my Achilles heel here because you know that I don't really like Star Trek very much. But, I mean, I will always defend Star Trek Voyager because anything that involves Catherine Hepburn playing a starship captain, I will watch from beginning to end. Uh, and... I'm going to start with Star Trek. I'm going to start by defending Star Trek because there is also... <laughs> I, can I, this is a first, John, <laughs> defending Star Trek. So. Because also, we've said rubbish, and one of the definitions we had for rubbish, rubbish was it's worthless. It has no value, no value at all. Correct. Now, Star Trek, even beyond the show itself, Star Trek has this massive value in that it is, it's more than just a show. It's an idea. It's, it's also an ideal, and it's also a worldview. And I wanted to bring up, there's a quote from George Clinton, the funky musician from, uh, from Parliament and, and Funkadelic. Uh, hey man, smell my finger fame. That, that would be the one. When we talk about science fiction, the ideas are bigger than just the shows. Like we're talking about, about concepts. And I wanted to mention, because George Clinton mentioned Parliament used to dress up as, as astronauts on stage. And he was interviewed for Mojo in 1996. And he said... We wanted to be saying something to black people, so we just took them and put them in a situation people had never seen them in and one they could be proud of. First, we put them in the White House. Then we had to find another place which wasn't used to seeing blacks, and someone said outer space. So we got us a mothership and started doing what we'd been doing as if we were in outer space. He was doing this to inspire people. Now, Nichelle Nichols played Uhura in the original Star Trek 
And there's a famous story about Martin Luther King once told her at an event not to quit Star Trek because it was too important that a black woman was working alongside whites in a position of importance. Sure, she was the receptionist, but she was a space receptionist, and that made it <laughs> quite important. Now, Michelle Nichols inspired Whoopi Goldberg to become an actor. Uh, there's a quote here that um, Goldberg apparently told Nichols that as a child seeing Star Trek for the first time, Whoopi Goldberg ran around the house screaming, hey, mum, look, there's a black woman on TV and she ain't no maid. May Jamison became the first black woman in space in 1992. She became an astronaut. Uh, she, again, was inspired by Uhura. She said, not only because she was an African-American woman on the show, but because it was the first time a woman was portrayed as technically savvy and a full member of a crew. This opened up possibilities. So the point is that beyond even the show itself... Star Trek changed the world. In fact, Martin Cooper, who ran the team that first invented the mobile phone, was trying to replicate the communicators on Star Trek. And he said that making the mobile phone wasn't difficult, it was just the idea was the difficult part, and they'd already done that. So even if you hate the show, the value it's had beyond that, MRI scanners were again inspired by Star Trek. I'm not making this stuff up, because I thought it sounded like a lie. So I actually did... (laughs) I did enough research to find this was, in fact, true. So Star Trek, on that level alone, has changed the world. Now, you talked about Doctor Who, and you talked about lazy television making in your smug little way there. And (laughs) so I've got another clip I want to show you. Now, I'm not going to explain what this is. I'm going to play it to you. It's two minutes long, and then we'll cover exactly what's happening afterwards. I will warn you that the picture quality is not very high and the cinematography is not much chop either and we'll just see how we go. So, David, can you play my next clip? I'm going to yeah, read this outside, get some fresh air. Do you ever get the feeling you're being watched? Hubei. Carbo. Ah, Nico, the score is about me. He's like my big brother. An uncle. Well, if you ask me, Uncle Nico's got the hots for you big time. No way. You don't know him. I know guys. Nico's not like that. He's just protective of me. Oh, yeah, he's protective, all right, because he likes me. <gasps> he does not. Do you want to bet? Nico? Yes? Lexi has a great idea, but we need to ask a favor. I have this friend that's DJing at DVA tonight. DVA? It's a nightclub. Lexi says he could put our names on the door. It should be a huge night. He's across town, so we need some... Just carry on. We daren't stop now. Transmission completed. Any problems? None. You have done well. Thank you. This is madness. You've no idea where we're going. To our destiny. Well, can't we rest? Our destiny can wait a moment. Perry, quickly. What did I tell you? Listen. Machinery. Well, let's get out of here. The perpetual cry of all cowards. We must investigate. But do you think that why? There could be enormous danger. Even worse. Worse? Yes. Yes, well... Perhaps you're right. Well, the purpose of reconnaissance, after all, is to gather information, not to finish up face down in a pool of one's own blood. Especially blood as noble as mine. Uh, we, we found out what we want to know. But, but there is one thing, though. The, the children, Lieutenant Lyman. 
Okay, so, so what we just saw mm-hmm. was uh, exactly one minute from the exact middle, because I didn't want to be tainting the sample, of two shows. One was an episode of Packed the Rafters, which is one of the highest rating dramas on Australian television. The other was episode two of Doctor Who, The Twin Dilemma, which is pretty well regarded by Doctor Who fans as one of the worst episodes ever made. And yet, the Doctor Who one is still more interesting than Packed to the Rafters. Uh, the, the Doctor Who one has better lighting, it's got more interesting costumes, and it has a nice joke about destiny, and it's also got a sense of importance to it. There are, there are real stakes going on there. The Pact of the Rafters scene, meanwhile, is about two girls discussing whether or not they like someone while doing their toenails. We are literally watching paint dry in that scene. Uh, more to that, too, I should mention, I actually had a better copy of that Pact of the Rafters originally, and my computer refused to render it. Like, I, I, it took me seven goes. My computer itself did not want to watch Pact of the Rafters. <laughs> That, that's the degree we got to. So, and because I, I really just chose a random, central, exact minute. I didn't want to try and, and uh, you know, uh, propel my own version. But the Doctor Who story, even when it's terrible, is aiming so much higher than the successful drama. I say drama. That's the same with Star Trek, too. That, uh, you know, Star Trek... Even when Star Trek, the original Star Trek was ham-fisted, what I was trying to say, and they kind of go, the black people are aliens. Um, it was still making a point. It was still making a metaphorical point about the universe and a worldview. So when you talk about value, I'm saying even beyond the technical aspects of it, science fiction is doing more than those other dramas you mentioned earlier at the beginning. And in fact, I would say, you talked about you know, reflecting life. I don't think any TV show reflected America's post-September 11 identity in the war in Iraq better than Battlestar Galactica. I think that summed it up better than anyone else. Rod Serling did The Twilight Zone because when he was trying to make dramas about subjects like the Emmett Till murder in the, in the South and a few others, he would run into all these problems with the sponsors and the networks and would have to basically water the subject down so much that eventually he couldn't tell the story. Whereas if he said it on another planet or if he said as part of a Twilight Zone story, he could make the comments he wanted to make. And I think this is the thing. At the end of the day, the West Wing could give you some understanding of politics. The Wire can show you how to deal drugs. Mad Men gives you some great ideas about soft furnishings. But only Doctor Who and Star Trek and the shows like them can give you a worldview and a moral landscape in which you can live your life. You say, rubbish. I say, genius. Well, John Richards, invoking Martin Luther King... And packed to the rafters. I, I did have Next rest- you'll say, oh, and did you know Hitler also hated science fiction? <laughs> I, I, I actually did have a joke comparing you to Hitler, but I know you Jews <laughs> get funny about that, so I, I crossed it out. <laughs> I did have written down here, why are you so racist, Joshkin? <laughs> there is a whole lot of science fiction television. I, th- I think you've also agreed to that, John. There is, there is a lot of bad stuff. There are the few things that reach for that high bar, but... There is so much bad stuff and, and it still gets made and it still gets watched. And I, I haven't spoken about... The, and this is if you thought I was going to get lynched before. Just, <laughs> I haven't spoken about the real perpetrators uh, of the terrible state of, of television science fiction, though. And it's us. It's the audience. 
It's the people who watch it. We are so starved for something interesting to watch, something that's going to uh, appease our sense of wonder and, and delight us, something that we will just embrace with, with both arms, that we end up lapping up whatever piece of crap with a spaceship piloted by unicorns is offered up by the production companies. The number of conversations I've had with people who say, oh, I know that Sliders is absolute crap, but it was the only thing on TV at the time. And then season four got really good. So I watched it. The, the number of people who have t- said that to me, it's, it's extraordinary. And here's the thing. If you watch it, right, networks are dumb. If you watch it, the networks think that you like it. That's the only measurement they have as to whether or not people like what they're watching is that they continue to watch it. But there's the double-edged sort of Damocles 22. If you don't watch it, they might not make any more because they think nobody wants to see it. And if you do watch it, they think that you're quite happy enough with the state that it's in, so they keep making it to that very low level. And then there's, and and this is the stuff that I don't understand, John, and and we haven't really talked about it much in in this episode. There's the stuff that is great that doesn't get watched by nearly enough people. The fireflies and the dollhouses that could hook a mainstream audience in if they were treated with the respect that they needed and that could help build the numbers that a network needs to justify keeping them around. But they end up messing with the order or make too many demands to change the show because it's the one time that uh, science fiction will kind of blend into a more mainstream area and therefore networks or the heads of networks or production companies think that they can actually dictate what will and won't work in these situations. And then it fails. And then it gets cancelled. And we spoke about Lost before and yes, I do absolutely love Lost. I love Lost so much that I have a T-shirt that refers to Lost in an obscure enough way that only other Lost fans will see my T-shirt and appreciate it. However, in my defence, John Richards bought me that (laughs) T-shirt. Lost is a a strange case because Lost started as as straight drama. An aeroplane falls out of the sky, lands on on a... deserted island and there is some kind of threat on the island that is straight out Robinson Crusoe Swiss Family Robinson style drama pure and simple and then they snuck the science fiction in through the back door by the time that happened the show was already way too popular and the networks couldn't really do that much about it Channel 7 really tried god they tried But ABC Studios had a a really big stake in it and for the last season especially, they finally put their name on the show. What ends up happening is that we end up with, sure, the few exceptions, but mostly cheap and nasty rubbish that we ration for ourselves for the fear of future droughts. And then the cycle just never ends, John. It never ends. There's one thing I wanted to... Actually, I should have mentioned before, but you've brought Lost up again. And you, you seem to be trying to argue that Lost doesn't count as science fiction because it's actually drama, which I would possibly call the Margaret Atwood effect. <laughs> and it occurs to me that, that, yes, there is this belief that all the good stuff can be called drama and somehow separated out from all the rest. So you're trying to say that science fiction television is all the terrible stuff that doesn't fit that particular category. Can, can I interject? 
I, I think there is a shame associated with science fiction that only the stuff that can't be regarded by the mainstream as drama gets oh, yes. lumped but into I'm that. I'm saying that's your shame, Josh. That's not science fiction. <laughs> Perhaps you should look at yourself and not the shows. Um, I would also mention, too, that you say Lost didn't start off with any fantastical element apart from the fact that all these people magically survived a plane crash, which is already... You know, it does start from a point of, of some magic, shall we say. Airline safety is high priority now. <laughs> and, and it's funny too, because uh, you basically, at one point there, I think you basically criticised science fiction fans for not being critical enough of their shows, and I thought, you really don't know my people very well at all. <laughs> <laughs> if, if anyone is critical of science fiction, it's science fiction fans, and that has actually led to television getting better and better. It's people like Joss Whedon wouldn't be around if they hadn't been watching those shows in the 70s, and been annoyed at the lack of coherent character development. It's those people who, when they grew up, got to make the shows that have actually propelled us. And I actually think without the Wheatons, you wouldn't have any of that HBO stuff that you were joking off about earlier. <laughs> and, and even more than that, we've talked too on Boxcutters about how shows like Twin Peaks have led to this golden age of television that we've had. But I think you also need to include things like Dark Shadows, which is another crazy vampire, including soap opera from America. And I think you even need to go back. It's things like the Quatermass series in, in England in the 50s. Uh, Quatermass was actually basically the, the world's first water cooler drama. It was, the, it was the one that made television drama event. And without Quatermass, we wouldn't even have any of these other shows to be talking about. You can't just make shows up. Uh, I've, I've even got... Look, I've got a, an amazing fact uh, here. I love this. When Quatermass Experiment... Um, it played in 1953. At that time, there was only one channel. This is in England, so just the BBC. It built to 5 million viewers for its final episode. Now, the reason... That's not a huge number for these days, but the interesting thing about that is that a year before, the estimated total television audience was 4 million people. <laughs> so basically, 125% of the potential viewing audience watched Crater Mass. If you had that now, yeah, that would make the green guide. <laughs> Uh, in March of that year, the BBC had estimated that an average of 2.25 million people watched BBC programmes every evening. So it basically had twice the usual television audience. I should point out the coronation led to the numbers of TV owners going up a bit between 1952 and 53, which is where that strange discrepancy comes from. But it is the, you know, the first thing that led us to the TV we have now. And look, and since I'm onto this bit, I might as well go on my maths. I haven't done my maths yet, but I wanted to prove that, that not only is science fiction you know, not rubbish, it is better than all other forms. And I shall now prove it with maths. So, BFI, British Film Institute in 2000, put together a list uh, by industry professionals to determine the 100 greatest British television programs ever screened. These were of all genres. Of those 100, 12 of them were what we would consider genre television. So that's you know, 12%. The Guardian, in 2010, did a list of 50 best shows uh, internationally, all time, and of those 50 best shows, six of them were genre, which is 12%. Now, the TV Guide in America in 2002 did a 50 best shows of all time, and out of those, six of them were genre, which oh, is... Oh, 12%? It's 12%. Now, I thought, well, let's... let's yeah, but, but, yeah, maybe 85% of all television is science fiction, so maybe that's just getting lucky. So I decided to look at... I looked at the UK, because I thought it was probably the easiest one to do. looked at the five major terrestrial channels for a week to see how much science fiction they played. To work out of that 12% is, you know, just likely in the, the number of shows they're playing. 
So between 6 p.m. to midnight for just an averagely chosen week, that's 210 hours of programming. Of that, 6.25 hours was genre television, which is slightly less than 3%, and most of that was movies. The only genre TV show they were playing was an episode of Once Upon a Time, an episode of Waking Dead, and half an episode of American Dad, which I'm including because there's an alien in it. So that's, that's how far I'm willing to go to give you the benefit of the doubt. But what I'm saying is that if generally on television some 1% of it is science fiction, yet 12% of these lists are saying that science fiction, you know, it's punching above its weight by quite a huge degree. And rather than being lazy, I think it's making other television better. I think it's forcing people like the Whedons. And even if we look at Blake 7 as a prime example, because Blake 7... Some parts of it are ropey. Some parts of it are awesome. It is a, it's a very strangely mixed show of, of all the ones we could maybe look at. But it also led to a whole audience going off and writing their own fiction and writing their own continuation of those characters. And that fan fiction sort of world, which comes off from a lot of these shows, leads to people like Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon is just the ultimate fan fiction writer. You know, these people are basically, that's where they've come from. It's where their mindset has come from. It's led them to this amazing work, the Stephen Moffats, the Mark Gatisses. All these people have come from that world of wanting to explore these people. And if you listen to science fiction fans talk about television and you then go into a writer's room on a TV show like Outland or I Spent a Week at Neighbours, you know, listening to how they talked, they talk like science fiction fans. It's the same conversations going on. It's people talking about the characters and what they would do, and what they do beyond the shows. So what I'm saying is that not only is science fiction better than other television, you should be thankful, Josh Cannell. You should be thanking us. Well, I'm glad you've come around. And <laughs> that, that uh, in, in great time, brings us pretty much to, to the end of this debate. Uh, I know I'm clearly the winner here because <laughs> I'm right, but I think, John, two, two things. One... We should, we should find out which of us is the winner. Sure. And okay. the only way, the only fair way is, is by round of, a, round of applause. Okay. Yep. But then also after that, you've got another point to I, make. I've got one quick clip to play one, to end us off. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so just, just quickly, uh, by round of applause, negative first, who thinks uh, John Richards won at the debate? And, and then finally, just to check, because it, it could go either way. It, it could. It uh, could. We, we do have at least double that amount of people in the room. Who, who thought the affirmative team, who thought Josh won the debate? <laughs> I think... That's, that's quite a fair audience, I've got to I, say. <laughs> I think some people actually brought crickets. <laughs> uh, thank, thank you very much for, for joining us. John... What's your final point? Look, I've got my final point, but I will mention, uh, please do feel free to... Uh, you can hear us at boxcutters.net. You can download Boxcutters podcast. We've been going for six years now. There's 300 episodes. There's a lot there to listen to. Uh, you can also find us on August the 30th at the Australian Centre for the Moving Image, where we'll be talking about when TV goes mad, which will probably include Super Train and Chances. So, really, you should be there. It will be awesome. Uh, but I want to say, really, what Josh has been talking about all night, it isn't about science fiction. I'm not talking about science fiction. What we're talking about is lazy television. That's what annoys us all. That's what we've had enough of, is lazy television. So, to finish off, here's a tribute to lazy television from Futurama. It's an episode of The Scary Door. You're on a tour through a region of mystery, a scenic route through a state park known as the human mind. 
You ask a passerby for directions, only to find he has no face or something. Suddenly up ahead, a door in the road. You swerve, narrowly avoiding the scary door. I have combined the DNA of the world's most evil animals to make the most evil creature of them all. It turns out it's man. I like these 15-second TV shows. One setup line and then bam, the twist. We've all learned a valuable lesson about messing with nature. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Boxcutters would like to thank Julia, Emily, Mitch, Mikey, Hesper and all at Continuum for their help and ongoing support. We'd also like to give a very special thanks to David Ashton from Sample and Hold Studios for his recording and post-production cleanup work on this episode. You can find David at sampleandhold.com. Sample and Hold, they sample and hold. If you'd like to contact Boxcutters, you can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter as Boxcutters Cast, email hooray at Boxcutters, or click the contact link on our website at boxcutters.net, where you can also donate money to help keep Boxcutters going. If you like speculative fiction, books or speculative fiction books, check out this year's Kronos and Dittmar award-winning podcast, The Writer and the Critic, or our good friends at Galactic Suburbia. Next week, Boxcutters returns to the studios of Triple R, where the gang will be back to their usual hijinks and japes and a few surprises too, probably. So join us then, won't you? And hey, let's be careful out there. Hi, this is Pete Smith. You've been listening to, or have just missed, Boxcutters. Cutters.